Well, it is good to see you. Finally. Uh, I've been waiting, uh, I've been waiting, yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, waiting for 22 months for this day. Never expected to uh, have to wait that long to be back together with my IEC family. And uh, it hit me uh, just this year that, that it's been 30 years since uh, I got to start calling the IEC family my family, and I get to be with you. So, yeah, that makes me an old guy. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Vic Anderson, or Ashanafi, if you prefer. But uh, I, uh, I got connected with IEC um, back before this building existed or anything else uh, here on this campus, and have enjoyed many, many years of, um, of being together with you. And, uh, man, it's just great to see you, but you all look kind of funny with these mask things. And some of you, I'm trying to figure out who you are, you know, behind that mask. But uh, I, I look forward to days ahead. Um, Pastor Steve is out for a few weeks, and uh, he and the elders have been so gracious to ask me to come back and uh, spend about four weeks with you. Um, uh, opening the Word of God and, and submitting to the Word of God together. And uh, boy, I've just really been looking forward to it. So, so great to be here. One of the reasons that I'm, I'm glad to be with you is because we, we are the people of God, right? We're, we're the people of God called out from the world, chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, being transformed by the Spirit, and journeying together to that great day when the reign of Christ will fill the earth. Amen? That is who we are. This morning I want to invite you to see Jesus. Maybe see Jesus more clearly than you ever have before. May we all catch a vision of him. And we're going to begin by reading a passage of Scripture, but I'm going to ask you to listen to the Word of God. I want you to envision what the disciples envisioned when Jesus gave to them a very special vision of himself. And then later we'll turn to that passage of Scripture, but for now, just listen and use your mind's eye, and perhaps you'll see what the disciples saw. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, uh, Moses and Elijah, uh, appeared there talking with him in glorious splendor. They spoke about his coming departure, which he was about to fulfill at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions, they were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and, and one for Elijah. He, he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a, a cloud appeared and, and covered them. And they were afraid to enter the cloud. A voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. 
the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what had happened to them. They did not tell them what they had seen. And so our Father, as the disciples have seen Jesus with a new vision, I pray that we also this morning will have our eyes opened that we might see Jesus. Father, we do come together as your people, the people of God, people who live in a world that is in such dire straits. As we look around our beloved nation of Ethiopia, we find our streets are full of poverty. There is economic tension, social difficulty, and political strife. And Lord, we would ask that you would help us not to be discouraged in the midst of all this, but to, but to be encouraged by your grace that you've already shown to us. And Father, we would ask that in the days to come that you might intervene in a way that would show to this world and to this country in even greater ways than ever before that your hand is at work. We thank you for the many that you have called to yourself, the many disciples who are coming to the Lord Jesus in these days, and, and we would pray that even the, amidst the suffering and the difficulty and the, and the fear that is on, uh, around us, Lord, would would your work be evident, and would you bring us great comfort? Father, of us, Father, many of us this morning have come and left family in other parts of Ethiopia, other countries far away, and our hearts are with them. Lord, we ask that on this day, you would make your presence known to them. May they sense that you are drawing them near to yourself. Many of us who are parents, we, we know the, the longing of our hearts to see our children follow hard after Jesus. Lord, would you grant to our children a passion to follow Lord Jesus. Father, some of us this morning come with bodies that are hurting. We are sick and we have loved ones who are sick. And, we do turn to you because we know that you are the author of life and you are the one who can heal. And so we pray that if it be your will, that you would bring healing and ask that you would do it in a way that draws attention to yourself. But Lord, for those of us who will go forward with, with pain and with illness, would you give us the grace to be praising you and to see you at work and to draw comfort from your work through our weakness. And now we are delighted to be people who study your word, not because we are scholars, but because we know your word is truth, and we seek to hear truth from you. So even now we submit ourselves, and Lord, I ask that your spirit would grab our hearts May we not be ashamed, but may we do business with the Lord our God so that we might walk away from this place a changed people. Bless us with your work in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. On Thursday of this week, I found myself sitting in my house here in Ethiopia on a sofa huddled with a nice, warm, heavy gabi. I was cold. In fact, I was shivering cold, and I was sick. And I had not eaten for the last 24 hours, really, and I just felt miserable. And I was starting to think to myself, welcome to Ethiopia. Right. And... I hadn't really said much to anybody all day. I was hiding. And then the door of my house opened, and in walked someone with some bread and tea and sugar and honey. And this kind friend 
left, prepared this food in the sacrifice and, and left her house and walked down a hill and came to me and, and sacrificially gave me something to eat. It was, it was wonderful. Maybe for her it was perhaps a small sacrifice of self-denial, but for me it was a, a wonderful encouragement. But this is how we live, right? We are people of sacrifice. We are people of self-denial. This is what we do. We, we learn as disciples of Jesus to give of ourselves and give to the Lord and give to others. In fact, this has been what the people of God do, have done since their beginning. I, think of it. Back with Israel, remember? Israel learned to live with sacrifice. They, they sacrificed bulls and goats and, and doves. They sacrificed the first fruits of their crops. The people of God deny themselves and live with sacrifice. And of course, in the New Testament, Jesus taught his followers to be sacrificial, to, to seek first the kingdom. And then the Apostle Paul, what an example of a self-denying, sacrificial lifestyle. We learn to sacrifice our money and our energy and our time and our prestige. And, and what a wonderful thing it is to be disciples who live lives of sacrifice. But it sure isn't easy. It's actually very difficult, isn't it? And just about the time we think that we're starting to get this sacrifice, sacrificial living thing, we hear the words of Jesus that say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and pick up your cross and follow me. For the one who wants to save his life must lose it. Wait, wait, wait. Deny yourself? Take up the cross? Lose your life? This kind of extreme self-denial lifestyle seems impossible. And my friends, let me tell you, if you have a little Jesus, it is impossible. If you have a small vision of Jesus, you can't really live a life of extreme self-denial and sacrifice as we want to. But, but perhaps if we have a big Jesus, if we have a clear vision of Jesus, we will be able to follow him in self-denial and sacrifice as we really do want to. And so this morning it begs for us the question, what do we see when we have a clear vision of Jesus. When we can really see Jesus as he is, what do we see? That's the question we want to answer this morning, and we're going to do it by, by, beginning, by looking at this, a couple of characteristics, right? A clear vision of Jesus and two traits of his, two characteristics, and then we'll look at, well, how do you navigate life with that vision? What does it look like to go forward with that vision? And by the way, this is exactly the situation that the disciples found themselves in. For you see, they had come to the point in following Jesus where Jesus had just revealed to them, I, your Messiah, am going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be beaten and mocked and falsely tried and killed. Now, if you want to be my disciple, you will deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Because if you want to save your life, my disciples, you'll lose it. And the disciples have to be wondering, how can we follow you to that into the face of persecution and self-denial and suffering? And so Jesus knows they need some encouragement for that journey and he gives it to them by giving them a vision like they've never had before. They are going to get a clear vision of Jesus up on a mountain. And the vision that Jesus gave to his disciples to help them in self-denial is a vision that he can give to us. So we are in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to see the first trait of Jesus. And the trait is this, that he is the radiant 
presence of God upon the earth. The radiant presence of God on the earth. That's the characteristic of Jesus that comes shining through in this mountaintop experience. We're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to spend the next four weeks, or I guess the next three weeks, in the Gospel of Luke, right in the center section where Jesus turns to Jerusalem. And there's some great stuff in here. I hope that you'll come uh, ready to uh, learn the Word of God and submit to it uh, as I know you will. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. And I want you to see what this, the disciples saw, which is this, this radiant presence of God on the earth in Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. I'm sure you found it. About eight days after Jesus said this, after Jesus said, pick up your cross, follow me, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, you follow me there. So there's the context. He says, come on up on the mountain with me. He takes Peter and John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Stop there for just a second. So you can kind of imagine what it must have been like for the disciples to follow Jesus. Um, They probably have heavy hearts because the Messiah that they thought they were following, the king who was going to bring in the kingdom, has just told them he's going to die. That's not good news, right? And they've been warned not to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. You cannot dissuade me. That's my destination. And so when Jesus says to go up on the mountain, they're probably feeling a bit skeptical. But in the Gospel of Luke, whenever Jesus goes to pray, time after time, it means God is about to do something. So perhaps as they trudge their way up through the path, They're anticipating that Jesus and prayer and maybe God is going to take action. And boy, are they right. Because what is it they see? They see Jesus bow in prayer and his face is changed and his clothes become bright white. Now, what what does that mean? Just by itself, without anything else, we already know that something is really happening because uh, we know something about when faces change in appearance. Remember back in the Old Testament? There was another man named Moses who went up on a mountain. And when he met God on the mountain, what happened? His face glowed. It was changed. and In fact, he, he had such a shine to his face, they had to veil his face. There's something about connecting with the, with the presence of God that transforms the face of those who come in close contact. And this is already the sense, the radiant presence of God is upon Jesus. And then his clothes, as bright as a flash of lightning, And all through the Bible, we find that when when there are angelic beings or people coming from heaven, beings coming from heaven, so often their appearance is with bright, shining clothes, right? You remember the the resurrection scene, The, the angelic being who comes at the tomb to say, he's not here, he has risen, is wearing white, bright, shining clothes. In the book of Revelation, we have angelic beings who appear and they're wearing bright, shining clothes. So when Peter and John and James see Jesus praying and his face is transformed and his clothes are like a flash of lightning, they have to be thinking. He is, he is meeting with God and the presence of God has fallen upon him or or he has the presence of God with him. They, they've never had a prayer meeting quite like this. This is something different. So already the text is beginning to give us ideas that Jesus radiates the presence of God. Then, but there's a second really important element in this text that bears this truth, and that is Peter's suggestion. Peter is going to suggest that they build three tabernacles, and that has a special significance to the presence of God. Let's read it, and we'll see what happens. We're in verse 30, and we'll read through 33. So, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in the glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but 
When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them, with him. Verse 33, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, uh, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. (laughs) And then Luke writes, he did not know what he was saying. We'll come back to that in just a second. Peter makes this, the the text begins by saying they were sleepy and they awoke, they were awakened. I, I don't think the idea is that they were taking a nap. I don't think the idea is that they were kind of curled up with a good pillow and getting a snooze while Jesus was praying. They're seeing, they're seeing Jesus with a bright face and bright white, you know, you can't sleep when the lightning is flashing, right? More likely, the idea here is they are become spiritually awakened, that when they wake up, they're now able to perceive what is happening. You can kind of imagine at the first moment, it's like, what is this? And then they begin to realize as their spiritual sensitivities go from dull to level 10, oh, we see what's happening. The presence of God is here. And so Peter says, let's build three shelters. Huh? What kind of fisherman comment is that? Well, Peter actually has really good insight. He gets it because by calling for tabernacles, what Peter is really doing is he's acknowledging the presence of God upon Jesus in this situation. He actually uses the word here in in Greek for tabernacle. So when it says, right, your text says, let us build three shelters, the NIV word, it's actually the word for tabernacle. Why is that important? Ah, you remember back in Exodus chapter 40, right? After Moses has pulled the people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, they receive the Ten Commandments, and you have all these instructions in Exodus as God gives them a law, and then he tells them how to construct the tabernacle the tent of meeting. And the text kind of goes on and on and on about the careful instructions, and finally the priests become consecrated, and the sacrifices are made, and everything's ready for this great and glorious day for God to show up. And what happens? The glory of God, the presence of God comes to the tabernacle. And this will be how Israel will see God. This, will ha- this is how Israel will meet with God. This is how Israel will, will see God's glory. It is in his presence. It's in the tabernacle. And in fact, Israel will have the tabernacle of God as a cover going with them through the wilderness. And they will stop and erect this tabernacle over and over because it shows that God is present with them. And so, after they enter the land, Israel will start to celebrate every year a feast. Not only Passover, not only the Day of Atonement, but after harvest, they would celebrate a feast of tabernacles, a feast of booths, sometimes we translate it. Why? Well, they would actually build little booths out of some sticks, and they would remember what it was like when God pulled them out and met with them in the wilderness and tabernacled with them. And as they lived in tabernacles and made a journey to Jerusalem, they would again hope that God would be present in the nation. Now think about that. Peter says, let's build three tabernacles The idea is that the presence of God that showed up with Moses, the presence of God that went through the wilderness with us, the presence of God that we hope for and long for is here. That's not some dumb fisherman comment, right? This guy gets it. That here upon, and this mountain is the very presence of God. And it's, it's resting on Jesus. 
the text makes this interesting comment. Peter doesn't know what he's saying. Be very careful here. Sometimes we kind of take Peter and we go, that guy just didn't get it. No, no, no. Peter really gets it. The text doesn't say he didn't know what to say. It's in, it says he didn't know what he was saying. In other words, he didn't know the extent of what he was saying. He didn't know how far-reaching his comment was, right? It, it, was, it meant a lot more than he realized. Remember, this is the same guy who just, the previous chapter, when asked, who do, men, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. Well, Peter probably has this much understanding at that point. He doesn't realize what all he's saying. And the same kind of thing is happening here. When Peter says, let's build three tabernacles, he doesn't know the extent of the truth that this Jesus is the radiant presence of God on the earth. We're looking for evidence that Jesus radiates the presence of God on the earth. And so far we've seen a couple of lines of evidence. We've seen a glowing face and a brightening clothing. And we've heard Peter's words about a tabernacle. But there's one more really important element in this text that helps us see that, that the whole, the biggest part of the point here is that Jesus is the radiant presence of God upon the earth. And it is this. It's the voice of God. And so, let me show you, first of all, the cloud coming down and then the voice that comes. Both of these elements demonstrate that Jesus is the presence of God on the earth. So, first of all, a little bit about the cloud. Um, notice verse 34. He says, while he was speaking, I take it this is affirmation. Peter's saying, let's build tabernacles. Tabernacles mean the presence of God. What happens? A cloud descends upon them from heaven, and it says in the text, it covered them, and they were afraid to enter the, as they entered the crowd. Now, fascinating word that Luke's used here for it covered them. It's actually the same word for overshadowed them. In Amharic, garadacho is the word that was used here, magarad. Now, why is that such an interesting word? It's only used a few times in the scripture. And guess when it's used? In Exodus chapter 40, when the cloud descends upon the tabernacle. In the Greek New Old Testament, it says, the cloud overshadowed them. In Luke chapter 1, when Mary is afraid because she's pregnant, an angel comes to her and says, do not be afraid, the Holy Spirit is upon you, and the Holy Spirit has overshadowed you. Same word. You got it? Presence of God in the temple, presence of God upon Mary, and now the third time, here come up on this mountain, it says this cloud comes down and it overshadows them. It can only mean the presence of God has come. And it's here. The cloud of God was the tabernacle that Peter called for. Peter said, let's build tabernacles. And God says, I got a better idea. I'll bring my cloud. His presence is there. But then, if there's any doubt in our minds, then comes the voice of God. Because God speaks. And he confirms his presence with his son. Because look what he says, verse 35, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This is all about the presence of God because when God the Father says, this is my son, He's not talking about this as a, he's the source of the sun, that he's the origin of the sun. He's not talking in terms of DNA and biology, right? There wasn't a day back in time when God said, oh, I decided I'd like to have a son, so I'll make one or I'll give birth to one. No, 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 right? What do we know? We know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have all existed eternally. 
So this is not about the beginning. This is not about God giving God the Father giving birth to the Son. When God says, this is my Son, it's about relationship. Because the closest relationship that we can imagine is a father-son relationship. Because what is being emphasized here is my presence is in the Son. If you want to see the Father, you look at the Son. If you see the Son, you see the Father. And God is saying, by saying, this is my Son, he's saying, this is my image. My presence is here. My presence is on him and in him and through him. And it's all so amazing to the disciples. The text says, the text says that they, they, they feared to enter the cloud. By the way, when the cloud came in Exodus 40, remember, with Moses, you know what happened? The last verse of Exodus 40, I think, says, and Moses was afraid to enter the tabernacle. My friends, if you're going to have a clear vision of Jesus, it starts here. That he is the radiant presence of God upon the earth. And I can only imagine the disciples being gripped by this. Luke has put such emphasis on the, throughout his gospel on Jesus as the Son of God. At his baptism, when he came out of the water, this is my son. Luke is the only one of the three gospel, of the four gospel writers who gives a genealogy, and the genealogy goes like this, that, that Jesus came not only from, from Joseph, but he also came through David, and he also came from Adam, and he is the son of God. Because Jesus is the Son, and this is Luke's emphasis. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted, and the whole temptation narrative is dependent on this question. If you are the Son of God, then do this and do this. And Luke has been holding up in chapter after chapter of the chapter, this is the Son, this is the presence of God. And now we come to this mountaintop experience, and the voice of God shakes the mountain with this statement, this is my son. He radiates the presence of God on the earth. Think about this. Jesus was God in a body. Walking with disciples on dusty roads to Jerusalem. Eating fish taken from the Sea of Galilee at a picnic table in Capernaum. This is the vision that will keep the disciples following Jesus through the Garden of Gethsemane, through the trials, through the mocking, through the cross and going forward. And my friend, it is the vision we must have as his disciples if we're going to live lives of self-denial and sacrifice. Believe that Jesus radiates the very presence of God on the earth. You see, Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. He's not just an infant admired by shepherds. He's not just a toddler who is worshipped by kings from the east. He's not just a teacher of great moral principles. He's not just a sacrificial lamb dying on a cross for his people. But he's the presence of God upon the earth. And here he is, 
bowing in prayer and bursting forth as a flash of light before his disciples, radiating the presence of God. If we see Jesus clearly, how do we see him? Trait number one is this. We see him as the radiating presence of God on the earth. There's a second trait, a second characteristic that that is also extremely important in the text. We'll just take a few minutes here to kind of unpack that one. And the second characteristic of Jesus is this. We see him clearly when we see him as the ultimate prophet from God. The ultimate prophet of God who forms his people from the first day to the last day, or if I will say from the Exodus to the eschaton. He's the one who is the preeminent prophet who's creating his people from the very beginning to the, from the conception to the consummation. That's what G, how Jesus is presented here. Uh, let me show you. The disciples are going to see Jesus as the ultimate prophet of God. And there's a couple of indications. Uh, first of all, notice who Jesus is talking to and what they're talking about. Those two things, right? Who's he talking to? Well, we read it. Moses and Aaron. Or, sorry, Moses and Elijah. Get the right two people here. Why would he be talking to Moses and Elijah? Well, they're, they're, the, they're considered the two great prophets in, in, uh, in Israel's history. Moses, well, he's the one who, who helped bring Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, right, and across the Red Sea and turn them into a nation. He's the one who's going to position them to become the people of God entering the promised land. Moses was the one who who kind of got it all started with the people of God. And Elijah, Elijah was the one who is considered the last of the prophets. There will be some after him, but he's, the, he's like the main man at the last times, and he always pointed to the end time. In fact, so much so that the Old Testament said, hey, Elijah will come again and declare, right? Make, make way for the coming of the Messiah. So you have the first great prophet and the last great prophet, and they're here together talking to Jesus. Huh. Why? The idea is that Jesus is going to pick up the very work of these prophets, right? He's going to complete the work that Moses and Elijah started. And what leads us to this conclusion even, not only that who's there, but what are they talking about? Very interesting statement here. Did you see it? Uh, Let's see. It's in verse... um, Verse 31, they spoke about, what does your Bible say? Jesus' departure. That's the NIV word. It's really the word exodus. They spoke about his exodus from Jerusalem. Huh. Well, that makes sense because Moses is an expert in exodus stuff, right? Moses knows about forming a people and, and taking them out of bondage. And what is Jesus going to do? He's going to go to the cross and he's going to be crucified and he's going to be raised again and ascended into heaven. And even perhaps the idea of his coming again all are wrapped up in the great exodus where God forms his people and completes that formation. I'll bet that was quite a conversation. What do you think? They were talking about Jesus' exodus and how he is going to complete this great work that Moses began and Elijah predicted. How wonderful. You see, Jesus is the ultimate prophet. It's not that Moses and Elijah were insignificant, not at all, they were tremendous. But Jesus, he's gonna complete what they were not able to do. There's a final line of evidence here about Jesus as the ultimate prophet. And it comes in verse 35 with God's statement. Go back to it. What does it say? This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Now, that might not ring in your ears unless you love the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is telling his people, hey, a day is coming when God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me. And when he comes, 
listen to him. And now on this mountain, the voice of God comes and he says, this is the prophet. Listen to him. It had been 1,400 years since Moses spoke those words. 1,400 years of longing and waiting for Israel to say, when is God going to be present with us and pick up the ministry of Moses, right, informing his people? When will there be a prophet that we listen to like Moses? And God says, here he is, Jesus, the preeminent prophet, the one who indeed is going to complete the formation of God's people that began at the Exodus and is predicted in the eschaton, the beginning and the end. My friends, if you're going to see Jesus clearly, we see him not only as the radiant presence of God on the earth, but the ultimate prophet from God who forms the people of God from beginning to end. That's that's something we can sink our teeth into, right? So this Jesus, he's so much more than a man who could exercise demons. He's more than the feeder of thousands and the, and the healer of the sick. And he is those things. He's more than the comforter of the brokenhearted and, and the savior of my soul. No, this, this Jesus is, is all that Moses accomplished plus all that Elijah longed for and predicted. He brings all of this together as the ultimate prophet. And that's how we see him. That's a really big Jesus. I find it interesting that, you know, this afternoon, maybe when our program is done, the, the sun will still be shining, and it's, it's quite nice, right? Especially during rainy season, it kind of warms us up, and, and maybe you look up in the sky, and you say, oh, it lights a little, little yellow ball up there, and well, it's just the right temperature, it's, it's great. But we're kind of far away, our vision's not really that good. If you started getting closer and closer to the sun, huh, we'd begin to realize that that warm little heat lamp is actually burning at over 4,700 degrees Celsius. That little, that little light that you see up there, little ball, it's actually about 1.8 million kilometers in diameter. In fact, that sun is 109 times bigger than our earth. And as you get closer and closer and closer, the intensity of its heat and its light would overwhelm us. That's what it means to see it clearly, what it's really like. My friends, as we get closer to Jesus and we see him more clearly, we see him as the radiant presence of God upon the earth and the ultimate prophet who forms the people of God from beginning to end. And we're overwhelmed. So that's what we see when we see Jesus clearly. How do we navigate life with that vision? Well, what, is it, what does it look like to kind of go forward knowing that this is our Jesus? Let, let me just simply suggest that the text gives us some indication when God says to Peter and James and John, listen to him. Listen to him. And, and we go, yeah, 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 that makes good sense that, that they're listen to him. Perhaps most pointedly as you head for Jerusalem and Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Follow me. Follow me into the heat of peace persecution. Listen to me. Perhaps part of the response also as they came down that mountain is just amazement. For the text ends by saying they, they, they didn't tell anybody for a while. I, I suspect they didn't have words to say. Like, you won't believe, you won't believe what happened to us on the mountain. 
we saw, we saw him. My friends, when we see Jesus clearly, we learn to listen to him and be amazed. But it is so difficult to listen to Jesus today. This is not easy. Please don't sit there and kind of go, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let's quit. No. Sorry, I'm not letting you off the hook so easily. This is difficult. Because the world keeps telling us and pounding us with messages that are different. The world tells us make more money when Jesus says to deny ourselves. Listening is hard. We're told to build bigger barns when Jesus says stop hoarding your your stuff. The advisors of our world tell us to save our lives for retirement and Jesus says to give up your life and then you'll save it. The voices of our day tell us we should strive for how, to have a life that's full of ease and comfort and yet we follow the one who had no pillow on which to lay his head. Listening to Jesus is not easy. We all come from nations that really want our allegiance first for that nation. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. It's hard to listen to Jesus. But even if somehow you can stop all the noise out from the messages themselves, there's just noise. Have you noticed? It's not quiet around very much. Uh, Every few seconds, our phones grab our attention now. Bing, notification, notification, email in, text message in, oop, another news flash, oop. And we are distracted people. Another music video. Oh, got to watch that. Got to pay my attention there. And the cars and the trucks, there's... The sound of of screeching brakes and honking horns and roaring engines. The noise is incessant and the mosques and the churches, they blare out more words from ever louder amplifiers. I haven't found Addis any quieter now than it was five years ago. Somehow you could put earplugs in your ears and blinders in front of your eyes. There would still be the voices in your head that tell us lies and distract us from Jesus. So what are we going to do? If you want to listen to Jesus, it will take personal discipline. This is not new, but it will take from us spiritual disciplines. It will take times of prayer. Get up on the mountain. It will take times of fasting. It will take solitude. It'll take turning off the television. Silencing the cell phone. And listening to him through his word. And submitting to him. Without it, we will be people without a clear vision of Jesus. But when we have it, here's what will happen. Every time we hear news about injustice and electoral results and wars in our lands, we will cry out, Lord Jesus, bring your radiant presence back to the earth. Lord Jesus, fulfill your work as the ultimate prophet. When you're disappointed by economic distress in Ethiopia and and, and the political tensions and strife that are now part of our every moment existence, we cry out, Lord Jesus, bring your radiant presence back to the earth and indeed fulfill your work as the ultimate prophet. And perhaps when you or a loved one is suffering with COVID or another great illness, We will be able to say because of our vision of Jesus, Lord Jesus, bring your radiant presence back to the earth and fulfill your work as the ultimate prophet. Peter, James, John, they came down that mountain 
And they followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. I imagine much of the journey was just putting one foot in front of the other, right? And their staff, and their backpacks. But every so often, perhaps the fears began to arise. Oh no, we're going to have to deny ourselves as we enter that experience. And perhaps in those moments, at least for the three, they could remember, oh no, no, we'll keep going because we saw Jesus. We saw him clearly as the radiant presence of God on the earth and the ultimate prophet forming God's people. My friend, I don't know all the ways that you will deny yourself and pick up your cross, follow Jesus. Maybe it's preparing food, caring for a child, doing other wonderful acts of service of even greater magnitude. But I know this, to deny ourselves and sacrificially and serve him well, this must be our vision. May God help us. And so, our Father, we submit ourselves to you. We would say, oh Lord, we want the kind of vision that Peter, James, and John had, not because you'll take us to a new mountaintop and repeat it, but because we can see through the pages of Scripture who Jesus really is. And so I pray for myself, I pray for my friends and family here, Lord, would you, would you open our eyes to help us see him clearly and help us then to listen to him. Change us, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.